So it's football day, but actually this illustration is about a different, this is football or soccer. I'm not a big soccer fan. I, I, my, uh, my neighbor's from England, and uh, he's a big soccer fan, and was, we were talking as he was watching the games and stuff like that and getting excited. But I don't know if, if many, new, many people know this gentleman. His name is, is Neymar da Silva Santos Jr. And Neymar makes a lot of money, as you can imagine. Neymar makes thousands and thousands of euros. However, he also makes thousands of thousands of euros for something other than playing soccer that's added into Neymar's contract. He is popularly known by his first name, Neymar, I think that's how you say it, and he is currently one of the highest paid soccer players in the world. He also is someone who has been quite outspoken about his faith in the past. He once told reporters this, Life only makes sense when our highest ideal is to serve Jesus Christ. Amen? That's a great statement to say to reporters, right? Life only makes sense when our highest ideal is to serve Christ. However, Neymar's current contract includes a clause that pays him 540,000 euros, which is equivalent to $630,000 per month. Yeah, it was, wait, per month. You're thinking I'm going to say, nope, no, $630,000 per month to avoid declarations of faith. Any type of talk or religious propaganda that could damage the image and unity of the Paris St. Germain football club. Life only makes sense. He makes a lot of sense by making Christ not his highest ideal. Witnessing. Some people get paid not to do it. Can you imagine? You look at that statement that he says, life only makes sense if serving Christ is your highest ideal. Is that Neymar's highest ideal? No, he has another one, doesn't he? Money, and to avoid controversy, and to avoid probably maybe even losing his job if he were to continue to witness. Folks, Jesus Christ is sending us out into the world And he's sending us on a mission. That mission is to testify to his truth. That's what he's going to tell us here. That is the mission that we are sent on. And he gives us tools and empowerments and preparation uh, in order to do that. However, it it is fraught with danger. Pitfalls. Persecution is one of them. Neymar fell right into it. The world wants you to stay silent, and they'll even pay you to make sure it happens. Satan wants you to stay silent, and he's going to set some traps along the way, temptations. 
that's going to make you waver in your faith, persecution is one of them. Persecution is a danger for us. Because not only will people keep us quiet, but actually we can fall away from the faith altogether. And Jesus is going to talk about that main idea as we look at this passage. Uh, But we're also going to see that he gives us preparation and tools to equip us so that we do not fall into that trap. So the three tools that we're going to be looking at, uh, the first one is you and I are empowered by someone. We're empowered by the paraclete or the Holy Spirit, verses 26 and 27 in John chapter 15. Remember, Jesus had just told them about all the hatred, and now he's going to remind them of a helper. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me, and you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. This is a cop car. Actually, it's a special cop car because this one is a Tesla cop car. These are the new Tesla battery. Yeah, I shaking their head. Yeah, battery operated cop car. You're not going to say that after this illustration. Anyway, so that this, is a, this was a project or an experiment that is done in California to see, you know, can we go green and go cop cars with, with, with batteries and stuff like that. And so we're not fueling up on gas. So this, this, this test Test Tesla test car was put to the test, and there was a pursuit that reached peaks of about 120 miles per hour on the highway. Uh, the officer, as he's engaging in this pursuit, he's radioing back, and the you know, car is swerving and going through. All of a sudden, a warning comes on. Guess what the warning was? Get, yeah, you guessed it. You are about to run out of power. <laughs> Probably the last thing that that officer wants to see as he's in high pursuit, can you imagine? No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's the greatest day of my life. A high speed pursuit. I gotta, I gotta recharge. I gotta just pull over here. And there you are, and you have to repower your vehicle when you are trying to complete the purpose that of your your whole job. You have one job to do. It's to catch bad guys. So eventually the guy crashed or something and the officer Hartman was able to actually pull over and, and recharge his Tesla cop car. I think it's a terrible idea. I know you can run out of gas just as much and stuff like that, but, but having a battery-operated uh, car like that. So Jesus wants us to see something. So what, what is Jesus doing here? Well, he says, hey, the world's going to hate you. You're, you're, you're sent on a mission. I am leaving you, and the world's going to hate you for the same reasons that it's hated me, because you're going to speak the truth to this world, and you're going to do some wonderful works in this world. But guess what? You're never going to run out of power as you do. And you're not going to be alone. Even though I'm leaving you, I am sending you a helper that helper is the Holy Spirit. So the word for paraclete, this is what our word paraclete comes from the Greek word for parakletos, which means to come alongside, to give aid to, to be an advocate, 
And the secondary meaning is to encourage, to comfort, to counsel, to exhort, and to guide. And in this context, what does it have to do with? It has to do with the mission that Jesus gives to us. And what is that mission? To testify. To testify to his truth. So I want you to see, uh, as, as we go through this, what Jesus is saying. He says, he will, the Holy Spirit will what? Testify. You will testify, and guess what? When you do that, they will. They're going to do something to you, and we're going to talk about that here in a second. One of the first things that we have to see here is is the Holy Spirit is not some sort of impersonal force or influence that you and I can manipulate to our own whim. That is not the, the, the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God himself who now dwells inside you, and, in, inside you and me. And if you want a good passage on the Trinity, right, this is it. Because you have all three persons mentioned, don't we? Jesus is the one who sends him. The Spirit is the one who proceeds from the Father. And then you have the Holy Spirit who is now given and promised to us to empower us for mission. He's a friend. And I, think we, I think we forget, I, I think we forget to back up for a second, that you, when I started thinking about this passage, and I, th- I think about it in the context of witnessing, how many people get intimidated when you have to witness? I do. You raise your hand. I, everyone should raise your hand. All right. if, if you didn't raise your hand, I've just seen who you were, and now we're going to go into Portland together. Right, right after, if you didn't raise your hand, you and I are going on a road trip. I'm going to send you out. I'll wait in the car. I'll be praying. Oh, oh, man, that hurt. That left right, right there, that left hook. So if you get intimidated, and I started thinking about this because I get intimidated to witness to people. And, and when I thought of this, I'm thinking, well, why should I be? I have God Almighty with me. I'm a co-worker with God now. God is, is empowering me. He's emboldening me, but he's giving me the words to say. I think that's crucial in this context because the Holy Spirit is testifying to truth. He's first testifying to truth in our own hearts, and we need to hear that truth, don't we? Especially when people in this world are saying, no, that's not the truth. We need to be encouraged. We need to be reminded that, yes, this is the truth. And that's what he does. He testifies to this truth in our own hearts, and he tells us the truth when we need to hear it and sometimes when we don't want to hear it, right? And that's the truth where we're like, oh, no, that's not the Holy Spirit. He's not, he's not reminding me of that truth. And then I, I think about it also that sometimes we think, Christ, and I don't know why we get like this, because we, Christianity has everything to offer this world because it offers salvation. It offers the only hope that this world has. But Christianity offers truth to this world. And truth right now is not found in many places, is it? You and I are living in a culture that people are so uncertain. They are, they're so unsure and they're hopeless. And, and we have that to give to them. And I think we forget all of these things as we're going out into this world. Truth is at the heart of of the Holy Spirit's ministry. Truth. 
And truth is what brings what? The persecution, doesn't it? That's what people do not want to hear is the truth. So you have the Holy Spirit who is testifying to the truth in us and then testifying through us to others and to the world, inciting that, that conflict and inciting that confrontation. And at the heart of the truth is who? Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit is given to us. He's promised us. He speaks the truth to us in our lives. And that truth focuses on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And, and, and if we're in a church that is focusing on just the Holy Spirit and the works and all the wonders and all the signs of the Holy Spirit, they are actually hindering His true work. His true work is not to shine the spotlight on Himself. His true work is to shine the spotlight on the work of Jesus Christ, on the person of Jesus Christ, to glorify Jesus Christ. That's what He does. He's not in it for Himself. His role and purpose is to shine on Christ and to glorify his name and to speak through people like you and me. Isn't that great? We are, we are what? Vessels who, who hold this treasure. We're vessels of clay. And, and believe me, I am all for education I think you need to study your Bible. I think you need to know the doctrines. I think you need to understand theology. I think you need to understand all of that. But don't be intimidated by speaking to others because it is not us speaking. It's God speaking through us. This should motivate us. This should embolden us. This, this empowerment that we have is, is not of ourselves. God, God chooses to work through freak shows like you and me to get the message out. We don't have to be trained in evangelism or anything like that. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit's pretty, pretty capable of speaking through us. And, and whenever we see, whenever we see the, the, the Spirit and, and being filled with the Spirit... You know, one of the ways that we see the filling of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament is what? What happens? They speak. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit. And both of them give absolutely incredible sermons. That's the filling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moving inside of us actually causes our lips to move. And we begin to testify to that truth. And remember what Jesus tells us. And I think it's not just at times when we are in trouble, but think about it in all times when we're worried about what to say. Don't worry about what to say. Why should we not worry about what to say? Because we, you've been given the Holy Spirit, and He's going to give you what to say. You will not be speaking, but the Spirit of your Father is speaking through you. Testify means to con confirm something on the basis of personal knowledge or belief. And here we have the primary function of the Holy Spirit, but guess what? We have the primary mission of the church, don't we? What is it? You will. You, you will go out and testify. I've given you my spirit. I'm not leaving you alone. He is your guide. He is your comforter. But guess what? You have a mission. The Holy Spirit's going to do his job. The question is, are we going to do ours? Are we going to go out and testify to the truth of Jesus Christ. 
Because look, he sums, he sums it up. It's one of the first things that we are to do. He will. I'm going to give you him. You will. You're going to go. And they will. They're going to do something in response. If you will, go ahead and do that. Which brings us to this warning that Jesus says in 16.1. So, he, so this is kind of pulled out. This is the main idea of Jesus's Jesus' thrust of the passage uh, here. These things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. All of these things that's surrounding that verse right there, Jesus is trying to keep us from falling into this trap. How many people remember this game? Probably not many kids at all. Yeah. Woo! Amen. Pitfall. Kids, first of all, I want to see how we had to suffer. This was a video game. Yep. You see the pixels? You see how block they are? Yeah. Games have come. This was one of my favorite games of all time, Pitfall. That guy who was swinging uh, from the vine is called Pitfall Harry. And Pitfall Harry had to run through the jungle... This was a platform game that was designed by David Crane for the Atari 2600, released by Activision in 1982. The player controls Pitfall Harry. He's tasked with collecting all of these treasures, gold bars, silver bars, diamond rings. I can hear the music. How many people hear the... Yeah, swinging on the vine. But as he's going along, all these traps come up, right? They had the... They had the tar pits, quicksand, rolling logs, which I hated the rolling logs. And then the crocodiles and snakes, scorpions, campfires, swinging vines. So the game is for you to get from one end to the other within 20 minutes. I forgot that there was a time limit. Uh, Through 255 screens. Christianity is, is not a game, though, is it? Not at all. But I'll tell you what. When we believe in Jesus Christ, we're set on a path. That path leads us straight to heaven. There's no going back. And we're headed towards that wonderful and absolute beautiful and eternal reward in heaven, aren't we? Collecting rewards as we we, we go and as we carry out the mission. But that mission has a lot of hazards. A lot, a lot of hazards. And persecution is one of them. And Jesus is warning us about it here. And he's saying, watch out. Watch out. Because when you do this, when you testify, they are going to do something. And that something is going to tempt you to fall away from your faith. They want you to not only stop speaking, they want you to stop believing altogether. I don't like the word that's used in the, uh, the New American Standard to stumble. I feel like stumbling does, does not have the force that Jesus is saying here. I like the NIV translation much, much better because he, it says to fall away. The word is scandalize. Scandalize. And Jesus is saying all of these things so that we're prepared for this trap. So that when it happens, we're not 
scandalized. So this is the, the idea of the word originally meant for a bait stick. So you put the stick there and you got the, the, the rock and you put the little food there and you tie a little string to it and you sit there and that little cute little chipmunk comes on by. You pull that out and it, that's it. Sorry for the visual. But that's the idea, what he's saying here. I don't want you to be scandalized. I don't want you to fall into this trap because persecution, oppression, the world, Satan, is going to want you to do exactly this. They are going to force your hand. See what you're made of. It's a warning. It's kind of, it reminds you of the sower and the seed. The guy who was all excited when he became a Christian or when he heard the word. I don't believe he was ever saved, to be honest with you. But when he heard the word, he gets all excited. And then what's it say? The persecutions come and that's it, he's gone. Watch out. But he gives us and he equips us, he prepares us for this. And, and the second way that he does this, the second tool that we see is that we have the foreknowledge that it's going to happen. Verses 2 and 3. So they will. So now we have the they will. He will, you will, they will. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue. But an hour is coming for anyone who kills you to think that he is offering a service to God. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. Being forewarned is being forearmed. Have we, I'm sure you've heard of that phrase before. So Jesus, does, he's done this before. He's prepared us for the hatred that we are going to face. But now he actually, he gets really, really specific here, doesn't he? But, but I want you to see what he is saying. He says almost three times, it, you know, the second time can be debated, but they will. It's in the future. They will. If you will, guess what? They will. If you go out, and if you and I go out into this world, if you go to down the street right now, right, you walk into Aroma Joe's, and you just sit next to someone, might be a little weird and awkward at first, but, you know, when you sit down and you, and you say, hey, you know, um, I just want to ask you, have you ever heard about the gospel of Jesus Christ? There's going to be a response. You know, they might call for help. They might call the police. Who knows? They might, who knows what they are going to do? They might actually say, no, could you tell me? However, what Jesus is saying here is that for the majority, the response is going to be this, probably. This is what's going to happen. Specifically for his disciples. And we know that this happens to them. They will. If you go out and testify to the truth, be prepared. I am telling you in advance, this is going to happen. That's a tool because we're, we know it is, right? So now we're ready for it. So when it happens, we're like, okay, yeah, Jesus, there you go. That's exactly what's going to happen. He told me this is going to happen. I've been prepared for it. So when I'm talking to people and they have a negative reaction to me or to the gospel, then I'm, I can be okay. I'm going to move on to someone else or I'm going to move on. To, you know, you can try and try and try, but 
He prepares us. He forewarns us by telling us what is going to happen. He gets in, but he gets into the specifics as to what it's going to look like and actually why they are doing it. And remember, all of these things, the empowerment and the presence of the Holy Spirit, and now the foreknowledge of persecution is to keep us from what? Falling away. It's to prepare us, to keep us in the faith. So we remember in the earlier passage about the guy who was healed, remember? And, and he was expelled from the synagogue. And remember the parents, how brave were the parents when they were asked about the guy who was healed? They weren't brave at all. Why? They said, why don't you just go ahead and ask him? What were they afraid of? They were afraid of this. Do you see how that's working now? See how the pressure is working? So to get kicked out of the synagogue was getting kicked out of your community. This was, this was devastating to these people. These were the people that they grew up with. These were their friends and their family. They were now outcasts. They were done, excommunicated from life, the life that they once knew. Nicholas, oh, and, and the reason, I'm sorry, I forgot, you smell, by the way, I just going to throw that out there right now. That's why, that's why they are reacting this way. Paul tells us in Corinthians that we, we have an odor about us, right? So people are reacting to us in two ways. We either smell like life and Jesus Christ, or we smell like, like death. And if you've ever had a dead animal in your, in your house or anything like that, you, you want to get rid of that odor. So this is a natural reaction to who we are in Jesus Christ. Nicholas Ortiz is a 14-year-old freshman he brought his Bible to Mater Academy Bay High School to read during his free time. Nicholas's science teacher singled out Nicholas in front of his peers, questioning him for his belief in God, insinuating that he was, quote, ignorant for believing in the Bible. There was a complaint that was filed. It alleges that the teacher actually incited other students to actually bully and pick on Nicholas for reading his Bible. His mother, Lords Ortiz, sent an email to the school stating that other children had actually told Nicholas they were going to sacrifice him. They were taunting him. They falsely accused him that he had a knife in his bag. On September 20, in September 2021, a group of students actually grabbed his Bible from him that he was reading at the time. They started throwing it back and forth to each other. Hey, this is happening right now. 2021. They started ripping out the pages of his Bible and ridiculing him for his faith. In early December 2021, two students initiated a text chat where they made false and defamatory statements that Nicholas had made school shooting threats 
in the past, saying that he was going to shoot a kid one day and they needed to tell the, the parents in the school about it. What do you think happened to Nicholas? His parents removed him from the school. This is a quote from the suit. His family suffered severe emotional, reputational, and economic damages and destroyed Nicholas's reputation within the community. They will make you outcasts. So when you, you, when you, when you walk up to that group of, of, of parents at the soccer game and, and those, that circle just closes in and, and they just ignore you, don't be shaken in your faith. When, when your friends at school are all having a party outside of school and they invite everyone else in the class except for you, don't be shaken in your faith. When you're when your long life friend and you, you become a Christian, they find out about your faith and the phone calls just slowly, slowly taper off and then they stop completely. Don't be shaken in your faith. He told you it's going to happen. And the reason why they're doing it is they think it's right. That's scary. These people who are doing this to the Jewish Christians at this time think that they are actually fighting for God when in reality they are fighting against Him. D.A. Carson properly sees the weightiness of this statement that Jesus says that they think they're offering a service to God. And he says this, whether in the first century or the, tw- well, 20th, but now, when he said this, but now 21st century, Christians have often discovered that the most dangerous oppression does not come from careless unbelievers, but from zealous adherence to religious faith and other ideologues, and you are seeing it right now. A sermon was preached, he said, when Cranmer was burned at the stake. Christians have faced severe persecution performed in the name of Yahweh, performed in the name of Allah, performed in the name of Marx, and performed even in the name of Jesus. Folks, when people think they are right, they are all the more dangerous, aren't we? Aren't they? When they think they are doing something good for society, that's dangerous. So when you're called a hater, when you're called a bigot, when you're called intolerant, remember what he says here. And they do these things, why? They don't know who he really is. And it's at this moment that gives us a great opportunity to reveal who he really is. This is the moment. They're watching you, watching how you respond. Hold on to that faith. Don't compromise it. That's what they want. And it's going to start making them think. 
Hold on to it. Don't compromise. Don't take money to be silent. Show them you have a truth. That truth is unchanging. You have a hope, a hope for an eternal life, one that is greater than anything this world has to offer. Don't compromise and don't return evil with evil. Love them. That's what Jesus did. Love them. Pray for them. Bless them. Be kind to them. Do what your Lord and Savior did. We have an opportunity when they persecute us to show kindness, love, and mercy, and we have an opportunity to reveal to them the God and the Jesus that they don't know. And they can see them in our witness. Jesus gives us another tool, one more tool as we conclude this passage today. We have the encouragement of His words. Verse 4, but these things I have spoken to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I've told them to you. These things I didn't say to you in the beginning because I was, I was with you, but now he's, now he's departing. And he wants them to remember these words when this is happening, so that they are encouraged. June 1992, Jim Davidson and Mike Price climbed Mount Rainier. On the way down to the, from the summit, the two climbers fell 80 feet, 80 feet through a, through a snow bridge into a glacial crevice, pitch black ice-walled crack in the massive glaciers that cover Mount Rainier. Unfortunately, Mike Price died that day. In his book, The Ledge, Jim Davidson tells the story of his miraculous survival and courageous climb out of that crevice. He says, at one point, he said, I heard the voice of my father. He said, the years of inspiration that Jim's father had invested in him flooded back into his mind, washed over him with encouragement. With minimal gear and no experience in ice climbing at that level, Jim spent the next five hours climbing out, battling fatigue, and battling the crumbling ice and snow that had threatened to bury him. Throughout this entire ordeal, Jim kept recalling the words of his father. Five grueling hours later, thanks to his father's words, he says, he climbed out of the crevice to safety. Jesus doesn't want you to fall into that pit, does he? Remember his words. Remember his words. He's telling them this so that when that time comes, they can recall, recall these words and in, instead of discouragement, they'll be encouraged. Instead of falling away, 
they'll be emboldened in their faith. Jesus does, it says something pretty interesting here. It's, it's, the, word, it's the word hour. Because we've heard that word before in John, haven't we? And, and typically, it refers to whose hour? Jesus' hour that he's about to face. And Jesus' hour, though it appears to be an hour of what? Defeat, is actually an hour of victory. Now he's referring to their hour. Two times he says, their hour, their hour. And I think, I think this is for a variety of reasons. Don't, this is not gospel, right? but this is my interpretation of why he's saying this. Uh, number one, an, an hour is what? In, in, in the great scheme of things, I've almost been preaching for an hour. Now, I can, I can keep going and make a really good illustration and be a life illustration where you guys are like, yeah, that hour went by pretty quick, Pastor Mark. I won't do that to you because I know we're all going to get ready for the game tonight. In the great scheme of eternity, in the great scheme of life, how long is an hour? Is it long? No. Hey, you do a lot in an hour. It's not, yeah, it's an hour. Hours go by so fast. And I think Jesus is saying that because, number one, he wants us to see that, hey, guess what? It's a short duration of time. In, in light of everything, in light of eternity, they only have an hour. Not only is it a short duration of time, but guess what? It is a short duration of time that is always in his control. They've been given an hour. They've been given this set period of time. When it's done, it's done. And they cannot do anything that they have not been allowed to do apart from Jesus Christ. No matter what you are facing in your life today, it may seem really, really long. Sometimes, doesn't it? Know that he has set all of your times, even before the foundations of the world. And every single trial that you're going through, no matter what it is, there's a time limit on that trial. And if it ends when we die, then it ends when we die. But also know this, that there is not a moment or anything that happens to you within that period of time that is apart from his control. He wants you to know and understand that. And I think, I, I think this time frame, you know, when we look at in, in Revelation, he does the same thing. It's almost a, it's a very, very similar statement where Jesus is saying to them, hey, don't be afraid what you're about to suffer. Don't worry about it. Don't let it what? Don't let it shake your faith. Because this is what's going to happen. The devil's going to do something to you. He's going to test you. For how many days? Ten days. And I actually think this was a period of ten days that he lets them know in advance, you got to hold on for this long. Isn't that, you know, if we know something, if we're like struggling with something and if Jesus were to come down and be like, hey, you know, Pastor Mark, I know that you've had this cold and it makes you really, really mad and like a drama queen at home and you're really upset. I know you've been suffering yeah. And, and if he said to me, Pastor Mark, or he wouldn't, he wouldn't say Pastor Mark. I'm sorry, he's not saying Pastor Mark. He'd say Mark. He'd say, 
do, yeah, he'd say Mark. And he'd say, if you're only going to suffer with it for 722 days, you know, that would be long, but at least I would have a time frame to work with, right? I'd be marking off the calendar and stuff like that. I'd be like, okay, you know, taking the medicines. I know, I'm sorry, I use my cold. I won't use my cold as a sermon illustration anymore. It has been really, really long and hard, so you can keep the, keep the thoughts coming. But if we, I'm sorry, I know. That's terrible. It's terrible. Don't feel like you need to send cards anymore. It's okay. But if you do, and there happens to be a gift card in there, that's okay too. I, it's just, it is what it is. <laughs> if, we, if we knew time frames, right, we, we'd be okay. Hey, you're going to suffer for this period of time. But, but that's what he's doing. He's encouraging us that it's, it is a set period of time, and it's under his control. And I think there is that reference to what? His hour. Because, yeah, they're going to have their hour, but guess what? Jesus already has had his hour, and his hour is what? The hour of victory. That's the hour. That's the only hour that matters. That's the only hour that matters. Because it is that hour that, that overcomes all the hours that we're going to face in this world. The hour of him on the cross. Death, burial, and resurrection. That's the hour. And even though during this hour, it may look like they're winning, guess what? It is their defeat. Because we sang it today, didn't we? I'm fighting a battle. I'm in an hour that you've already won. You've already won. I want you to put yourself in in the position of, of, of a Jewish Christian during this, this time period, around 80 or 90 A.D. is when the Gospel of John was written. There's a variety of different dates that are thrown out there, but I'd agree with that, that date of 80 or 90 A.D. You've just become a, a Christian. You've already heard that Stephen, James, Peter, and Paul have all been killed for their faith by this time. Just a few years back in, uh, in 62, Nero had launched his campaign against the church. Now you as a Jewish believer have been completely disowned by your Jewish friends. Even your best friend who you grew up with, you played with, not talking to you. Done. But that's not the worst, because even your family has now disowned you. The break at this time between the church and the synagogue was, was greater and wider than the Grand Canyon. And there you are, you're, you're, you're all alone, and maybe, maybe you're even fearful for your life. And, and in through the door rushes your new Christian friend, he's got, he's got these papers in his hand. He says, look what we've got. Got a letter from the Apostle John, and it's this gospel. He gives it to you. You start turning through the pages. You cannot put it down. It's getting late into the night, and the the oil lamp is, is burning low, and you get to this passage, and it's as if Jesus Christ himself is standing right next to you, speaking into this exact situation. And you know now he knew about it. He told you about it. 
And instead of your faith being shaken, it's strengthened and emboldened. And instead of your mouth being quiet, you break through the door and you run out and you testify. Jesus Christ is God Almighty, that He came to suffer and die for our sins, and that in Him we have eternal life. Jesus wants us to remember His words, all of these words. He wants us to know that we have the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to know that persecution, if we testify, is going to happen. He wants us to know what it's going to look like, why it's going to happen. And He wants us to have the encouragement that He knows knows all about it. It's only for a short period of time, and that time is in His hands. And all of those things are going to keep us from falling in the trap of persecution. Father, thank you for your words to us. Thank you for the truth that we have. Lord, I know I need to remember this truth, especially at times of trial, times when we look out into this world and it seems like nobody is believing Times we want to curl up in a ball and just hide from from all of these things. I pray that you embolden us. I pray that you empower us. I pray that we are reminded that you, you have given us your Holy Spirit. That he is the one who works through us. It's not up to us, Lord, to make people believe. But it is only through your power, through your spirit, that that can happen. Lord, help us to do what you have called and asked us to do. Testifying to the truth of Jesus Christ, the only hope that we have in this world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.